Well, let me see. Where I want you to turn first. Let me look ahead in my notes here. Uh, looks like the first place that we're actually going to be reading together uh, is in John 15. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, uh, i got to get my rearview mirror here. Hang on. Now, don't laugh if you've not seen this before. Uh, I can't see the screen behind me, so I don't know whether the slides are changing like they're supposed to. And my rearview mirror kind of helps. I can't read them, but I can't be laughing at. This is part of the routine. <laughs> All right. Okay, I had a tablet that I used for years, but that thing just kept messing up, and, and I'd get to church, and I'd have this slide presentation, and my tablet wouldn't work. Uh, and so I've assigned that responsibility to Brother Henry uh, at the sound desk. Let me see if my clicker's working here. It is. All right. Uh, well, if you were here, at last, of course, last week we had our Awanas uh, Wards program, so we didn't have our Bible study last Wednesday, but Wednesday before last, uh, if you were here, you remember we were wrapping up uh, our study uh, of the false prophet. Uh, we, we, we focused on the Antichrist for a couple of weeks. Uh, and, uh, and, and by the way, the Antichrist is the first beast uh, that appears in Revelation 13. Now, we're, got, we're not going to go back there now, uh, but in Revelation 13, there are two beasts that, uh, that John sees. One comes up out of the sea, uh, the first beast, and the second beast comes up out of the earth. The first beast is the Antichrist. Uh, and uh, we spent a couple of weeks focusing our attention on him. Uh, but that second beast that John saw in Revelation 13 that came up out of the earth uh, was uh, the character that we refer to as the false prophet. So the first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. Now the reason they're both referred to as beasts is because they are going to be working in conjunction with one another. Uh, and they are definitely a pair. They are definitely a team uh, supporting each other. And primarily, the, uh, the false prophet will be supporting the Antichrist. Uh, and so last week, we wrapped up our focus on the false prophet. Uh, and uh, I think we spent at least a couple of weeks uh, talking about him. We learned some things about the false prophet. We learned uh, some things about his profile. We learned some things about his purpose. Uh, we learned something about his power. Uh, man, it's amazing how powerful he's going to be. Uh, you, the Bible tells us he will have power to call fire down from heaven. That's pretty powerful. Amen? Uh, he'll be able to call fire down from heaven He'll also be able to make a statue speak. Now, that's, that's something, isn't it? Uh, and so this, this false prophet will be very powerful. We learned something about his program. And his primary program, remember, uh, will be to destroy God's people, to destroy the Jews. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I'll tell you what, if not for the intervention of Almighty God, uh, he would be successful. Uh, but God is going to intervene on behalf of his people. Uh, he's going to provide them a place of refuge, 
uh, during that time, and we'll get to this later in our study. Uh, but the program of the false prophet uh, will be to destroy the Jews. And the last thing we learned about was his punishment. Now, that's my, that was my favorite point. <laughs> you know, uh, the false prophet is going to meet his end one day. And where is he going to end up? Somebody tell me, where is he going to end up one day? In the lake of fire, along with the Antichrist and along with the devil himself. So, so that, that evil trinity, Satan... Uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet, that unholy trinity, all three of those characters are going to end up in the lake of fire one day. So their day is coming. Amen? Uh, and and the, as far as I'm concerned, the sooner the better. Uh, but, uh, but God is still working His plan in the world today. And it's just when the time comes, uh, they will come to their end. Now tonight, we want to change our focus uh, yet again, and uh, we want to think about for, for tonight and probably next week as well, uh, those who will be martyred uh, at the hands of the beast, the first beast and the second beast, those who will be martyred uh, during the great tribulation. Now, multitudes of believers have already been martyred, and will be martyred even before the tribulation begins. However, if I understand the Bible correctly, and I think I do, uh, this, this martyrdom uh, will be greatly intensified during the great tribulation period. Uh, and uh, it will make the previous persecution that believers have experienced seem almost insignificant. Now think about that. Uh, that's how bad it will be. Now as we think about these future martyrs, uh, we're going to consider several things. First of all, I want us to consider the context of their martyrdom. The context of their martyrdom. In other words, exactly who will these martyrs be? Well, John answers the question in Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10. Uh, the verses are on the screen. Notice what he said. He says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them. Now, who are we talking about? The souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So who are these martyrs? Well, according to John, they are believers who will be martyred during the Great Tribulation. Now, as previously noted, this, this tells us that people are going to come to Christ during that period of time. Amen? If you're going to have Christian martyrs during the Great Tribulation period, then you're going you, to have to have people getting saved, right? Because if you don't have saved people, you cannot have martyrs. So we know that during the Great Tribulation period, people are going to come to Christ. Now many of these, maybe even most of these people, 
will be Jews. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that they will be Jews? Well, here's the reason. Romans chapter 11, and we talked about this uh, earlier uh, a while back. Uh, Notice what Paul said, Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 25 and 26. Paul says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now what's going to happen after that? He said, and so all Israel shall be saved. Now Paul said that. All Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, from these verses, it appears that God's plan to save the nation of Israel will come to fruition not before the tribulation, but during the great tribulation. Now, I mentioned this several times. One of the the things that the Bible uh, calls the Great great Tribulation, it calls calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. So God's plan to save the nation of Israel will come to fruition during the Great Tribulation. Now, this turning to God by the Jews will absolutely infuriate the Antichrist. Because, by the way, he not only does he not like Jews, he doesn't like Christians either. And and so, if he doesn't like Jews and he doesn't like Christians, he really hates Jewish Christians. Amen? So, during the tribulation period, you're going to have Jews coming to Christ in mass. And it will infuriate the Antichrist, provoking him to martyr so many Jews that their spilled blood will flow like a river. Now, there's a question that I want to raise, and and if you want to get involved in this discussion, uh, feel free to do so. But I've had people ask me this question. If all believers are taken out of the world before the tribulation begins... Now, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you believe that. So if all Christians are taken out before the tribulation begins, how is it that people can get saved afterwards if there's nobody left to preach to them? You take all the Christians out, you take all the evangelists out, you take all the pastors out if they're saved. I guess unsaved pastors would still be here to preach. Uh, but you take all the believers out, so people ask the question, well, well how, are, how are people going to get saved if there are no Christians left in the world to take the gospel to them? What do you think the answer to that question is, Lori? Because somewhere along the line, someone told them, and they didn't accept it. Absolutely. A lot of people will have heard the gospel before that time. And of course, when someone hears the gospel, what happens? Seed is planted in their heart. And so there's going to be a lot of people left behind 
when the rapture takes place, who've already heard the gospel. And they've had the seed planted in their hearts. Uh, And for one reason or another, they have rejected the gospel. Don't you think those people could very well have second thoughts about what they heard? I mean, after the rapture takes place? Can you imagine? Here's Joe. His neighbor, Frank, has been witnessing to him all of his life. And, and he's heard the gospel over and over and over again, but he hadn't got saved. And then all of a sudden, one day, Frank is taken to heaven. And so, what was this guy's name? Did I say Joe? Joe? Joe. And so Joe's thinking, oh my, maybe what Frank said was true. Maybe there's something to this Jesus business. Uh, and so you're, you're right, Lord, that's, that I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, but here's another thing. Not only will... A lot of seed have already been planted. But here's the thing. When, you know, when God takes all the Christians out, He's not taking all the Bibles with them, are they? There's a lot of Bibles. The Bibles are not going. The Bibles are staying. And so you, you, you have this, the previous witness, you have all of these Bibles that are around. And I believe what's going to happen is people are going to look for a Bible, you know. Man, I got I got to figure out this whole thing and so I think people will start reading the Bible after the rapture who never would even considered reading the Bible before because they've got questions. Let me let me show you what uh, Here's what one commentator said and I think I've got it on the screen here. Uh, Henry Morris, Dr. Henry Morris uh, said this. He said millions upon millions of copies of the Bible and Bible portions have been published in many major languages. We know that to be true. And distributed throughout the world. Removal of believers from the world at the rapture will not remove the Scriptures. Amen? And doesn't the Bible say, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God? I mean, you don't have to hear with your ears. You can hear with your eyes. You can read God's Word yourself. And it's not like having someone preach it to, preach it to you, uh, but you're, you're, you're hearing the, the, the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so, again, he says, multitudes will no doubt be constrained to read the Bible looking for answers as to what has happened. Yes, Brenda. When we go on building projects, the one thing that everybody does is they write their favorite or their life verse mm-hmm. on the boards uh, that are used to set the walls. Okay. And the theory is that if they come in after the rapture and they dismantle those churches, yeah. the Bible verses will be on those walls. Uh, even today, a lot of churches in this country have a practice of writing scripture. Uh, on the wall. I think that's a good thing. Now, I, I don't believe in, uh, in icons, you know, uh, uh, like you find in the Orthodox churches, but, but I don't have a problem at all with writing. And they do this in India a lot. I mean, and, 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 they, and they'd usually put it not only in Telugu, but they put it in English as well, uh, which I appreciate. Uh, in the Philippines, uh, they put scripture all over the walls in the churches. So that's, that's a good point. Uh, and so, but here's the thing, uh, and, and Lori said it, they, they, you've got all of these people who will have heard the gospel before the rapture. The seed has been planted in their heart, 
And that seed has not produced anything yet, but then the rapture happens and they say, wow, you know. And, and so I think many people will be constrained, as Henry Morris said, uh, to think about what they've heard or maybe to read the Bible for themselves. And, and let's not forget about the two witnesses. Uh, yes. 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 There you go. You can just have a short note on the table. Uh, hello, this is where we are. And this is how you can get there if you're interested. Amen. You know, this is where we are. We're in heaven. This is how you can get there. Yeah, and, and the food is there as well. That's a good point. That's a good point. Now, we're not going to take time to, to we're going to come back to the two witnesses later. Uh, but uh, uh, the Bible tells us in, in Revelation chapter 11 that God's going to send two witnesses uh, to the earth uh, who will prophesy, not only will they prophesy, but they will perform signs and wonders. Uh, and then there's 144,000 Jews. Uh, and uh, the, the Bible says that God is going to seal 12,000 from each tribe. Uh, and, and many Bible scholars are convinced that these these Jews will be actually be evangelists. I don't think the Bible tells us this specifically, uh, but, uh, but many believe that, that the reason God is going to seal this, these 144,000 Jews uh, and protect them uh, from the Antichrist uh, will be to, to, to allow them to be able to, 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 to go among their people. These are Jews. Uh, converted Jews, be able to go among their people uh, and without being hindered or stopped by the Antichrist and be able to preach. Uh, and, and so uh, these are things that, that a lot of people are going to get saved during the tribulation period. Most of them will be Jews. I'm convinced most of them will be Jews, but not all Jews. Uh, now, while many Jews will come to Christ during the tribulation, a very large number of them will be martyred. You say, well, how many? Uh, look at this passage in Zechariah. Uh, this is interesting. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Uh, it says, And it shall come to pass, uh, that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Now, two parts, that's two-thirds, right? Two parts shall be, shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried, uh, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. And many Bible scholars believe that this actually tells us that, uh, that during the tribulation period, uh, as many as two-thirds 
uh, of the Jews that come to Christ will be martyred. That's a lot of people. At least two-thirds will be martyred. Uh, so so this, we're, we're talking now about the context of their martyrdom. Now, secondly, I want us to consider the cause of their martyrdom. Why will they be martyred? Why will they be martyred? Why will they be killed? Well, John leaves no doubt uh, in our minds as to the reason for these martyrs in Revelation chapter 6. Look at Revelation 6 verse 9. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, we read it a moment ago, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. Now why were they slain? Look at this. For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. In fact, that was the very reason that John himself uh, was, uh, was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Look, going back to Revelation 1, verse 9, notice what John said. He said, uh, he said, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle that is called Patmos. Now, why was he there? What did he say? For the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, there's something I want you to see here. And, and, I, and you'll miss this uh, if you don't pay attention. These martyrs, these people will not be martyred simply because they are Christians. But they will be martyred because they will be outspoken Christians. Think about that. For the Word of God... And for their testimony, they won't be, you know, uh, 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 killed because they're Christians. They'll be killed because they will be outspoken Christians. Uh, They will be outspoken about their faith in Christ. Uh, They will be actively sharing their faith with others. Now, there's a couple lessons that we can learn here. First of all, it is only when we become outspoken about our faith, that we have the opportunity to influence unsaved people for Christ, right? If you are a closet Christian, y'all know what a closet Christian is? A closet Christian is someone who has put his or her faith in Christ, but they keep it to themselves. They never share it, especially, you know, when, when there's persecution going on especially when it could cost them their lives. And so they keep it to themselves. Let me tell you something. We all have a testimony. Every believer has a testimony. But you're not going to be able to influence anyone for Christ as long as you keep that testimony to yourself. You've got to be willing to share that testimony with someone else. You have to be outspoken about your faith in Christ. And that's what's going to get Christians killed during the tribulation. Not just the fact that they're Christians, but because they will be outspoken about it. Unashamed. Sharing their faith openly. And of course, that will make them targets. Now, the second lesson is this. Those who become outspoken Christians 
can expect to pay a price. Even today. But especially then. But even today, I tell you what, there's, there's so much uh, uh, hatred in this world. Uh, and, 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 and there's so much antagonism in this world that is aimed at Christians. And I tell you, this, this Roe versus Wade thing is going to be great for the babies. It's going to be wonderful for the unborn babies, but it's going to make life a little difficult for those of us that are, that are outspoken about our belief and are outspoken about our faith. Now, if you keep your mouth shut and you don't say anything, you won't have any problem. But the moment you open your mouth, yes. Yes. And, I, and the neighbor across the street, we watched it on a video because I had a note left about being saved. So tell us what your, your license plate says. I am saved. I am saved. You know. And they left a really ugly note. <laughs> and all she did was put it on her license plate. And so you might want to get that tag off, you know, before the Roe versus... No, I know you're not going to do that. And so that's, 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 that's a little way, but that's a way of being outspoken. Uh, now, if you, if you didn't have that tag that said, I'm saved, you wouldn't have got that nasty note, right? Oh, I'll probably end up one day getting bumped in the rear. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so it's not going to get any better. Y'all understand that. But the, but the moment we become an outspoken Christian, we can expect to, pray, to pay a price. If you don't believe that's true, talk to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, uh, uh, I'm behind on my slides here. John the Baptist... Uh, opened his mouth once. He was very uh, uh, fervent about what he believed, and he, didn't, he was not the kind of guy who kept his beliefs to himself. Amen? And so notice what, you know what happened to John the Baptist. Mark 14, verses 10 and 11 says, And he sent and beheaded John in prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. Now John would have kept his head if he'd kept his mouth shut, right? But it's when he became outspoken that he had to pay the price. So if you don't think it's true, ask John the Baptist. Ask Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, verses 58 and 59 says, And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And what was he doing that really, really riled them up? He was preaching. He was being outspoken about his faith. It says, They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Or just ask the members of the early church. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church. Uh, which was in or at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Or ask James, the brother of John, Acts 12, verses 1 and 2, says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain in the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. 
Now, we're not likely, at least not today, we're not likely to be beheaded like John. We're not likely to be stoned like Stephen. And we're not likely to be run through with a sword like James was. However, you can be sure if we become outspoken Christians, we can expect some repercussions. And I tell you, as we get closer and closer to the end times, those reper- repercussions become greater and greater and greater. Now, you, you sit out there and you think, oh, well, I'm not worried. You know, I, I, I'm pre-trib. I believe God's going to take me out of here before these things happen. Let me tell you, it could get bad before we even get to the tribulation period. If you think uh, that just because you're going to get taken out of here uh, at the rapture, that you're not going to ever have to deal with persecution... Uh, How do you explain that to the multitudes who are being persecuted even as I speak? Maybe not in this country, but in other places, Henry. Yes. Yeah, and and, and they're, they're not outspoken, I promise you. And if they are, they're paying a great price for it, for sure. Now, why is it true? Why, why is it true that when we, when we speak, when, we, when we're open about our faith, we keep our mouth shut, no problem? You know, especially when you're around some people. Just keep your mouth shut, no problem. But the moment we open our mouth, the moment we begin sharing our faith in Christ uh, uh, and our testimony of being a believer in Christ, the moment we start doing that, There are problems. And you know why that's true? Here's the reason why it's true. It's because this world is full of people who hate Jesus. And I've told you this over and over again. It's not so much that they hate you, it's they hate your Savior. Now, you should be in John 15 if you're still there. John 15, look at verses 18 through 21. Notice what Jesus said here. Here's, here's why you're going to pay a price if, you, if, you're, if you're an outspoken Christian. Here's why it's going to cost you. John 15, verse 18, he says, If the world hate you, Jesus said, he's talking to his disciples, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hateth you. And that, that's not an exaggeration. And if this was true in Jesus' day, it's even more true today. Now, not, not every believer will express that to you, to your face, but they're, but they're becoming more and more bold all the time. I mean, they are in your face now. Uh, if they know that you're a Christian, he said, uh, verse 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they knew not him that sent me. 
You know what? You can, you can go anywhere and say, I'm a Buddhist. You're not likely to be persecuted because you're a Buddhist. Nobody cares if you're a Buddhist. Right? Now, maybe in this country, after 9-11, if you tell somebody you're a Muslim, <laughs> you might get beat up by some good old boys. But it's not really religious persecution. You know, people don't care what religion you are as long as you're not a Christian. But boy, if you're a Christian, you better keep that to yourself. And you better not share it with anyone. You better not open your mouth. Uh, you, know, and, 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 you know, and if you do, look out, look out. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's that way now to some extent. Uh, uh, John, 1 John says this, uh, says, uh, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you, don't be surprised. Now we've considered the context and we've considered the cause. Now I want us to think about the, uh, the consequence of their martyrdom. This is, this is neat. I want you to see this. There's something very interesting here that we'll, meet, that we'll miss if we're not careful. I want you to notice the location of these martyred saints that John saw in the vision. In Revelation 6, let me put the verse back on the screen again here. Revelation 6, verse 9. These are the, the, the tribulation saints who will be martyred because of the word and because of their testimony. Notice where they are in this vision. Notice where they are. It says, and when it opened the fifth seal, I saw, where were they? Tell me. Under the altar. Under the altar. Now, y'all remember the Old Testament, the altar was where the sacrifices were offered. Outside the tabernacle, in the court, they offered the animal sacrifices upon the altar. And these saints in this vision, they are pictured as being under the altar. You know, for a long time, I didn't really understand the significance of that. I think some people think they're there, they're hiding under the altar. You know, I mean, they've been beaten and battered, so they're, you know, they're a little gun shy. And so, you know, they're, they're hiding. No, they're not hiding under the altar. There's a reason that they're under the altar. Here's the reason why. Let's go back to Exodus 29. I'll put the verses on the screen here. Exodus 29, verses 11 and 12. Says, and thou shalt, and this, this was in the Old Testament, under the law, thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt take of the blood of the bullock and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger. How many horns were there? There were four horns on the altar, right? One on each corner. And so they would take the blood from that bull and they would put a little bit of the blood on the four horns of the altar. It didn't take much blood to do that. Now, a bull has a lot of blood. What did they do with the rest of the blood? Well, look at the verse. The answer is here. They put a little bit of the blood on the horns of the altar, and he says, and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar. In other words... Under the altar. And so they took some of the blood, they put it on the four horns of the altar, and most of the blood was poured out under the altar. The symbolism, I think, is obvious. 
The fact that these tribulation martyrs, where are they seen? They're seen as being under the altar. What does that imply? It implies that, that by becoming martyrs, they are actually offering themselves as a sacrifice to God. They, they have sacrificed their lives on the altar of God. Not literally, of course, but, but you see the symbolism here. They're, they're actually offering themselves as a sacrifice to God who will then bring them into His glorious presence. Now the Bible talks about, in, in the New Testament, Romans 12 talks about a living sacrifice. Now, you know this verse, Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The martyrs, not living sacrifices. They actually died. Now, thankfully, we can, we can be a living sacrifice to Christ. You don't have to actually die. You don't have to actually become a martyr to become a sacrifice. You can be a living sacrifice. And the Bible admonishes, admonishes us to do that. But I tell you, the kind of sacrifice the martyrs will be, that's a whole nother level of sacrifice. Now, how do we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? Well, by simply offering ourselves upon the altar of God's service, by faithfully serving Him. Now, the next thing I want us to think about, and we're not going to have time to finish this, I want us to notice the cry of their martyrdom. Uh, these tribulation martyrs, remembering the severity of their persecution on earth, the, the Bible tells us, and here it is again, Romans, uh, Revelation 6.10, the Bible tells us uh, that they will cry out to God for justice. Amen? Now, now look at this verse. And they cried. They're under the altar. They have sacrificed their lives on the altar of God for their faith in Christ. And now what are they doing? They're crying out to God. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now what are, the, what are they asking for? They're asking for vengeance. Am I reading that right? They're martyrs. They've died because of their faith in Christ. And they're asking God to avenge their blood. Now I want to ask you a question. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, did He call for vengeance? Or did he call for forgiveness? What did he say? Father, forgive them. Even Stephen, as he breathed his last breath, let me put the verses here. Here's the one. He says, Father, forgive them. Here In Acts 7, 60, and he kneeled down, Stephen, and he cried with a loud voice saying, Lord, avenge my blood. Did he say that? No. He said, lay not the sin to their charge. 
He's asking for mercy for His persecutors. And Jesus asked for mercy for those Romans and those Jews who crucified Him. But these tribulation saints, they're not asking for mercy. They're crying out for vengeance. You say, well, that just, was just totally inappropriate. They should have been more like Jesus. They should have been more like Stephen. And so the question arises, how do you explain the difference between Jesus and Stephen and what they asked for and what these tribulation saints are asking for? How do you explain that difference? I've got to be honest with you, I struggled with it for a while. And then I came across this explanation. It makes really good sense to me. Someone said it like this. A man prays according to the attitude God is taking toward the world in the dispensation in which he lives. This present age is an age of grace. Aren't you glad we live in an age of grace? This present age is an age of grace, which means that God is showing mercy to the worst of men. And we are told to pray for them that despitefully use us. However, in the tribulation period, even though people are getting saved during the tribulation period, the tribulation is a time for God's judgment. Right? And so the person said it like this. He says, in the tribulation period, God will be meeting out judgment upon the earth Therefore, the martyr's cry for vengeance will be in perfect accord with God's will. It makes sense to me. God is a God of love, yes. He's a God of grace, but He's also a God of judgment and a God of justice. And those who reject His mercy and those who reject His grace and those who reject His love, there's nothing left for them but judgment and wrath. So maybe it wasn't inappropriate for those saints to be crying out for vengeance. Now it's interesting how God answered them, and we don't have time to to get to that uh, tonight. Uh, How should we respond today? Now we're living in the age of grace today, right? Now should, should should we respond more like Jesus and more like Stephen or more like the tribulation saints? Remember now, when are we living? We're living a day of grace. And the Bible answers the question. Here's how we should respond. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter, and this is hard to do. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. That's hard to do, isn't it? For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Matthew 5, verse 44. Listen to Jesus' words. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Romans 12, 14 says, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. That indeed is hard to do, is it not? But that's how we should respond today. 
We're living in the age of grace. Things change after the rapture. You know, God is a God of patience. Uh, there's that verse in Second Peter says, God is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. But is what? Long-suffering to us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering. But let me tell you something about God's long-suffering. It has its limits. Israel found that out the hard way, did they not? And when they pushed God too far, there's a verse where it says that they were without remedy. That's when there's no hope anymore. You push God too far, uh, and the same thing is true. You take advantage of His, his patience and His mercy. Uh, there's a limit. Uh, and one day, this age of grace in which we're living will come to an end, and judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Uh, not, not for those who are believers, of course. Remember that. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Believers, And that's why, again, that's why if you're not saved, the best thing you can do as far as your response to these lessons that we're having about the end times and what's coming, the smartest thing you can do if you're not saved is, is, is to get saved. Get right with God. You know, if you don't know for sure that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven, you need to get that thing settled soon. Because we just don't know. We just don't know when that next event on God's prophetic calendar, which is the rapture, we just don't know when that event will take place. So the smart thing to do is to be prepared today. Let's stand together. We're out of time. What do I do with my pen? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word and and God, the, the, the truth is, we as believers in this country, we've been spoiled beyond belief. And we've had it easy. But I've, got, I've just got a, I've got a suspicion, Lord, uh, that the tide is changing. That this world is changing in which we live. And that the animosity that has always been in the hearts of unbelievers, but up until recently has pretty much been kind of kept in check. I, don't, I believe that, that we're nearing that time where it's all going to come out. And, uh, and we're, more and more, we're going to become the objects of, of persecution. And this, we can expect this long before the tribulation starts. We don't have to be in the tribulation. It can happen long before then. And God, when that day comes, I pray that you would help us to respond as, as you've instructed us in your word tonight to do, to rejoice and be glad. Consider the privilege, uh, wear it as a badge of honor. And as hard as it may be, Lord, rather than returning evil for evil or, or calling out and begging God for vengeance, we need to be praying for grace and mercy and forgiveness for those who are persecuting us. Because there's still hope for them today. But there may not be hope tomorrow. So Father I pray your blessings. Uh, God help us. As we deal with. 
the persecution that's already here and is getting worse every day. Help us to, to, to represent you as we should. And God, help us to be more and more outspoken about our faith in Christ. We cannot win this world to Christ if we keep our faith to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.